0: Welcome to the Get Loved Up podcast. I'm Koya Webb, founder of Get Loved Up, where we inspire you to love yourself more, love others more, and love the planet more. Each week, I'll interview a special guest who will share their insights on how they practice daily self-care, tackle tough challenges in life, and thrive in the world one breath at a time. You will be inspired to take control of your life as you heal yourself mentally, spiritually and physically, and create a reality in alignment with your deepest passions. Let's get loved up. Searching for something to- hey, you all, and welcome to the Get Loved Up podcast.
1: I am so excited about my guest today. Her name is Shayna Ali, and she has done so many epic things in her career. I have to read them off for you she is a mental health counselor educator and advocate uh dr shayna is the author of the self-love workbook which you know i like because get loved up is all about that self-love as well as the self-love workbook for teens which will be released in march 2020 dr shayna is passionate about destigmatizing the mental health counseling and helping individuals worldwide recognize the importance of fostering mental wellness. She is the owner and operator of Integrated Counseling Solutions, a strength-based clinical mental health and consulting place located in downtown Orlando. In her Psychology Today hosted blog, A Modern Mentality, she promotes mental health awareness in an effort to improve mental wellness across the globe. Dr. Shayna is also an active blog contributor for the American Counseling Association and the National Alliance for Mental Illness. As a mental health advocate, Dr. Ali has been featured in outlets such as on ABC, NBC, Yahoo, Bustle, NPR, the Washington Post, and the Insider. She is a past president of the Florida Association of Multicultural Counseling and Development. She presently serves on the editorial boards for the Journal of Creativity and Mental Health, the Journal of Counseling in Sexology and Sexual Wellness, Research, Practice, and Education, and is an ambassador for the International Registry of Counselor of Education Programs. She's been named an emerging leader by the Association of Counselor of Education and Supervision and the Association for Creativity and Counseling, and she's on Florida Counseling Associations' Pete Freiser. I hope I said that right, Humanitarian Award, and was recently honored with the prestigious 30 Under 30 Award by her alma mater, the University of Central Florida. Shayna, welcome to the Get Love Up
2: podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you for, you know, taking all of your air to read that.
1: Phew, that was
2: exhausting to hear.
1: <laughs> you know what? I, yeah. I, I It started off my podcast and I didn't. I didn't do it. And I just wanted to dive into the person. Yeah. But what I'm finding, especially um, for us women, sometimes, of course, we're not attached to the accolades, which is beautiful, but sometimes people don't know all that we've done in our lives, and although I don't think that defines us, I do think it's important for people to know how you got to where you are and what you've been through, and that's what I kind of want to dive in today. I want to know the woman behind the accolades. Absolutely.
2: And I appreciate your intention behind that too, because I agree with you. I think there's a fine balance there of, you know, it's, it really is. I felt exhausted hearing that, but I appreciate that you want to balance getting, allowing people to see who I am today and hear more beyond those accolades. But I think it's important for women. It's empowering to hear about what everybody else is up to and what we're doing and what we can achieve. Um, you know i think that's really inspiring so thank you i appreciate that intro
1: <laughs> awesome and so mental health is really important especially right now i think it's very timely because as we are having this staycation a lot of people are suffering in silence because of mental health and having anxiety having fear and not knowing how to deal with it so can you share a little bit with me about your background and mental health and where it started for you to where you are today.
2: Oh, absolutely. I'd be excited to share that. So my mental health journey, it's really hard to decide like where did it start? Because it depends on how we define it starting, right? I actually think my mental health journey has been my entire lifespan, but the time that it came into my awareness was in college. So it was kind of a happenstance. I was noticing a lot of I guess now what I would call mental health symptoms. And now I know they pertain to anxiety, but at the time it was very confusing for me having a lot of those physical symptoms, you know, the heart rate, the breathing and not experiencing it to that level before. And this was a very exciting new time in my life, right? In college, getting to go out and explore what the rest of my life can look like and I was also taking classes in mental health at the time, usually what we would call psychology classes, Psych 101. And it was this perfect balance of it happening for me and my awareness and me also being able to learn about it that I made this connection of this seems like a mental health thing. And luckily for me, I was in the position being at the university at the time to seek help. So it wasn't just reaching out to a professor to say, can you explain this concept to me so I can understand my own symptoms, but it was actually starting counseling at that time too. And it was almost like that, that it made the connection. And that's why I'm like, oh man, it's been my whole life. Like I'm experiencing this now and I think this is new. Well, this was not new at all. That was pretty much my entire life. I've just been an anxious being and I've been getting by, but it had finally hit at that level that I needed to do something about it. I'm so grateful that I was able to do something about it at that time. And that's what really ignited my passion for mental health. Because when it clicked for me, I also was really curious about how did this not click before? How did I not realize this? How did I not get help for this before? How did I not know I needed help for this? Right. And that really ignited something in me is, okay, I can can't be alone in this, right? A lot of people might be realizing or may not have that light turned on, like how I had it in that moment to realize, oh, I can do something about this. And that was really what got me to shift into becoming a mental health counselor. And then when i started that trajectory with research i became really passionate about realizing how minority mental health also looks different so you know being a first generation american being a woman of color like all of these factors were conflating to affect my mental health and i realized i'm not alone and i want to help so it was a passion that first started for me helping myself that kind of grew into then going and pursuing my doctoral degree to realize How can I make mental advocacy, mental health advocacy, not just for me, but for others too?
1: That's very powerful. And thanks for sharing your personal story. That really Mm -hmm. means a lot. And I kind of want to dive in just a little bit. What were some of the signs? Because I think a lot of us are experiencing those signs. And I know with myself, like I was hyperventilating and I was having heart palpitations, and I didn't know that was anxiety. I thought like, oh, I'm just nervous. Oh, I'm just scared. So can you share a little bit and unpack a little bit um, what the signs are? Absolutely. So
2: the very first signs that made me concerned were physical. So it was very similar to what you mentioned, actually, it was breathing and heart rate. So realizing that I wasn't breathing well, and that there would be certain times that I would get this sensation of just being out of air even when I was trying to focus and say, okay, take a deep breath. Even then it seemed like I was in an uphill climb and I was at this high elevation that no matter what I was trying to do to calm down and to get my breath in a flow, I just couldn't. And that was very confusing to me. The rapid heart rate also was kind of, I noticed it pairing with this and, you know, I think at the time I thought it was a physical problem. I thought, okay, maybe I'm overexerting myself. You know, I live in Florida and I went to school in Florida. So I'm like, is it the heat? You know, it's really funny in retrospect to look back and think about how I was trying my best to explain this physical, physical, physical the whole time. And I think at that time, I just didn't understand the mind body connection. So I didn't think, that the ruminating thoughts, obsessive thoughts, negative thoughts that I was having all around fear had anything to do with these physical symptoms. I did not make that connection at all. It did not occur to me. And I, you know, I giggle a little bit at myself, not to make fun of myself, but I'm like, wow, now I know so well how that is interlinked that it's hard to imagine a time that I did not put that together.
1: Wow. I think, you know, it's starting to become popular now, like talking about anxiety, but I don't think it was common. I wouldn't even say five years ago. Like, I feel like in the last five years, people are starting to talk about anxiety. Maybe it's more, maybe it's 10, but like in pu- publicly. So what is that? And where do you feel like they're comes to the point when people need to ask for help?
2: Oh, first of all, I want to say I agree with you. I think that it feels newer, and that is exciting to me. I have to share because um, while there's a lot of mental health stigma still across the globe, the fact that you can have an open conversation with people in your life about things like anxiety That to me seems very different than the recent past. Um, And what I hear about generations much further in the past, um, that that wasn't even something you would even make a peep about, you know, much less actually have a conversation about. So I'm excited about that. And I still think that there's a lot of room for growth, right? So to talk about what you were mentioning, which is a great point of when is it just anxiety and when is it a clinical problem that you need to seek help? Um, it's the level of the intensity, right? So if it's something that you realize, Oh, I'm feeling a little anxious about this. You do talk to a loved one, you know, someone that you feel like you have that support with and you realize like, okay, that's actually managed my symptoms. I'm now breathing fine. My thoughts are clear. My heart rate has slowed down. I feel clarity. I can be present. If it makes that tremendous drop, then it probably is that you had the normal emotion of anxiety, And you might not have clinical anxiety. Now, instead of boring you with more of the diagnostic criteria of anxiety, I'd say that generally for people, it's, does it go away? Do you feel like you can manage it? If you are really feeling like you're in that uphill climb, then to me, that's when it. What's the harm of, you know, reaching out to a counselor and just seeing the, you know, maybe you're told, no, this isn't clinical anxiety. And here are a few skills that you can adapt. But if you really have that diagnosis and you're sitting on it without knowing, then you're not going to be able to help yourself. And when it comes to mental health, I think that proactivity is key. So I would rather recognize those anxiety symptoms soon. And maybe even before it gets to a level that it's panic disorder, and it's really hard to work on that intense level that work on it proactively and see if then you can manage that before it even gets really bad. Mm
1: hmm. Such great advice. And I feel like, you know, like you said, first talking to a friend or talking to a loved one. I think that's something that we all can do. um, And just identifying who are those people in your life that you can talk to, and you can tell anything to. And if you don't have that person, it is important to have someone professional, at least one person in the world that you feel like you can talk to and tell anything and not be judged for it.
2: Absolutely. And I think that's what excites me about the time that we're in. And I also think that something about the technological era that we're in also makes that dialogue so much easier now than in the past. Not saying it's easy, but easier is because of these online communities, right? The fact that you and I can even chat and not be in the same city (laughs) at the same time, you know, a lot of these things of, Can there be someone that you connect to that it may not be in your direct social circle, may not be someone you see every day, but you could still connect to? There's a lot of amazing online communities for mental health. You know, I think about even the National Alliance on Mental Illness and some of these online support groups that they're doing. That's so helpful because while, you know, I was lucky to be able to start to have these conversations with some of my friends at the time and, you know, professors before realizing that I could go see a counselor. I realized that a lot of people are not as lucky to have someone in their close vicinity to reach out to, and that technology can help us to fill that gap, that there is somebody that you can reach out to. Um, so if you're feeling like you don't know who that person would be, yes, of course, you can go see a therapist, but also there's other ways that you can find that community too.
1: Mm so so important and that just makes me want to also like kind of lift up your book the self-love workbook because i also feel like you have so many like if y'all for y'all who are looking at this on youtube <laughs> so many it's a workbook so so many um different things in here that one can do to really uh go within and do some self-reflection can you talk a little bit about what inspired you to write this book? And and what is it that is doing for people that you've seen so far?
2: Yeah, thank you so much for asking this question because it actually aligns very well and is parallel to the question you asked me about my own mental health. The workbook aligns with my journey. So the methods that I used to help myself when I was first recognizing that I had anxiety and that it was at a clinical level that needed work, so in therapy and beyond therapy, a lot of that, it was the foundation for the self-love workbook. Now, so that was during my college years that I had a lot of these activities. It's just, it, it's helpful for me. It's one thing to talk, but it's another thing to do creative, practical reflections. And I was doing that a lot. And I found that, you know, healing in many ways, whether if I was writing, journaling, dancing, that there was a lot of healing that was happening for me beyond talk therapy, So I pretty much had compiled these methods that I was using and I kept it in a folder and I kept it on my desktop as I continued to pursue more of my degree in mental health counseling. And now fast forward after my pursuit of education and then I'm in private practice. And then I realized that a lot of my clients who were coming to me with various mental health concerns of various backgrounds, ages, right? that something that seemed to be the thread was this lack of self-love. So, you know, somebody's coping skills for anxiety may look similar, but may be different from someone who's living through trauma or depression, right? But something that was similar for all of these clients I was noticing was the lack of self-love. So I opened up that folder and I thought, well, if I can help my clients with this, and this is something that I'm, able to work through with this. Maybe this method can help other people. So at that time, I revisited a lot of the activities that I had already created. And I went back into the literature, too. Not so much the overall concept of self-love, but those different segments that you'll see in the workbook. So there's seven different segments. So I explored a lot in terms of like kindness and compassion, esteem, self-awareness, growth. And together with the research and those activities, that was what kind of birthed the self-love workbook. So it's always fun for me to do that reflection. So thanks for that question, because I love that it came out of a place of pain. You know, I think that sometimes when we see things, um, we don't realize what was the foundation of it, what the roots were. And without my, what we would call struggle through anxiety, but what I say is more of my survival and my thriving through anxiety that's what came out of this was the workbook. You know, anecdotally, I know that it helps a lot of my clients. I've heard some really kind things about people using it um, personally, but also taking it in with their therapists. I've heard a lot of parents using it with their kids, which I just find awesome. You know, like these conversations,
1: it gives you like a resource to start to chat about it. Right. What do you feel like has been the most challenging time in your life? So
2: I think it is that time that it's like that exact time that anxiety symptoms that I already had was starting to come to the surface. I was experiencing so much tremendous change at that time. First of all, going to college is a, you know, a life changing thing for lots of folks, but, you know, experiencing that independence, feeling really out of place at first in my giant campus environment as being this first generation college student person of color that I felt like I couldn't make connections. And I was so passionate about what I wanted to do, but I wasn't feeling seen and heard. And I felt so isolated, but motivated. And this friction was causing so much anxiety for me of what's the point? What's the point of the actions that I do? What's the point of the world that we're in? What is the point of life? And Luckily for me, a lot of that didn't ever surmount in depression, but it gave me so much friction that those ruminating thoughts really triggered all of that anxiety. So I think it is that time that was most challenging for me is all those things at once, you know? Right.
1: Right. And a lot of people are feeling a little bit overwhelmed now and, and feeling like, you know, as things are coming out, you know, people who have already been you know, oppressed and, and, you know, people in, you know, marginalized communities are actually suffering way more. So Mm -hmm. what can you kind of say to people who are feeling like, okay, I feel like that I don't have a win here and I Mm -hmm. can't pay my rent and I don't know what to do. I'm stressed out. You know, what can you say to them as to give them some type of hope? For the future,
2: yeah, and even when you you know when you state those questions, like my heart feels heavy, and this is something that you know as a practitioner who has anxiety, and I do a lot of my self love work to try to keep balance, but gosh, I can't help but feeling that because I know that a lot of people are asking those questions that you just mentioned. I think that's so profound that we're experiencing this on more of like a community level, especially people who have been marginalized or oppressed and feel disempowered. I think the first thing that I always say when it comes to self-love is to validate. Um, this comes a lot from the emotional intelligence work and it's more in the self-awareness and self-exploration chapters of the workbook of recognizing that that's not distorted in many ways. you know, feeling like this is hard for me of how can I keep myself safe when I'm an essential worker and I need to make a living? That type of thing is that's a valid, difficulty that you're experiencing and all of the emotions that are coming from it, very valid too. If I were to add the self-love element on top of that is it's always what's within your control. So that's your ability to understand a little bit more of your thought process, your feeling process and your action process. So we're in a time that there is a lot of uncertainty and there's a lot that's beyond our control. But the tricky thing is making sure that we don't lose sight of what we can manage because we're hyper-focused on all that's beyond our control. So yes, there's a lot, a lot of people don't know when they're going to be employed again or when they're going to have an income or when they're going to get their next break or I hear that. I absolutely do. And I think beyond validating that, I think it's also What can you do? And I know that some people get to that level that it's really hard to imagine anything on that list. And of course, if it's at that level, I also think that that's where therapy comes in because that's hard to pull yourself out of that on your own. But I really believe we can all find something in this crisis time of uncertainty, but there are some things that are within my control, right? So like for me is I can't see my therapist like usual, and I can't see my clients like usual, right? But as much as I would love to see them in person, and there's that nuance of being present with someone in person and therapy, I'm really grateful that I can do telemental health counseling, right? So there's some things and when we are faced with a lot of this Struggle and turmoil, we need to adapt, and I think that adapting and adjusting uh, that's a process of self love in and of itself
1: right that is that is so that is so true, and I think we all can kind of lean into that and, and realize that you know it's going to take some time and one step at a time, and also faith because mm-hmm. i don't know about you, but when i've experienced my own anxiety and when I feel overwhelmed um, once I've done the work is one thing, like doing the work, telling someone, feeling better, but then also having faith that this Mm. too shall pass.
2: I love that. I love that. And I think that this too shall pass for many people comes from a faith standpoint for sure. And I also think that's a nice affirmation to be able to say, to ground yourself. So I think we're all getting triggered in different ways in what's going on in the uncertainty, but we need to find ways that we can find our ground and our center and our alignment. So there's so many ways to do that. Affirmations as one, connecting to your breath, your body, you know everyone's different, but I like to build more of like a toolkit. So sometimes I don't want to think and I just want to focus on my breath and my body, right? Sometimes my mind is going a million miles a minute and I have to release those thoughts. And maybe that's when I journal, or maybe that's when I speak, right? So either speaking to someone, speaking to a therapist. So I think it's important for us to think about not just what we can do, but can we build a toolkit of all the different coping strategies that we can use, not just at this time, but through life, because, life comes with its challenges and coping and self-care is being
1: ready to meet those challenges. Mm, So, so powerful. So powerful. I 100% agree. And I feel like too, that a lot of people, again, are also unfortunately taking their lives at this time. So have you dealt with, you know, any clients who are in that space? And can you speak to people who might feel like, I don't want to be in this anymore?
2: Absolutely. I mean, suicidality is so serious, right? Um, and I do have experience working with clients who are in that mindset and in that in that reality that that's all they feel is that hopelessness and that helplessness. And my experience is both working with that in private practice, but also I worked at an inpatient hospital that people were being admitted on their, what we call here in Florida, their Baker Act, their 24-hour hold on making sure that we keep you safe. So I do have a wealth of experience in handling that. Something that's, when you are in that zone, you need help. You absolutely need help. Um, People who are fortunate to be in therapy, be honest with your therapist about when you're in that zone. That zone is a part of depression, but it's very different to make that clarification that I'm feeling or thinking about suicide and I'm feeling suicidal versus being depressed. So being honest with yourself, the more honest you can be is the more honest you can be in seeking help. I understand that a lot of people are not Seeking therapy at that time or can't, right? I I understand that too. Resources, actual issue. But then there's the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline that I think is a great resource. And not only is it a phone number now, you can also text or you can chat with. So that kind of goes back to what I was mentioning is that there are resources out there. I think that sometimes when we're in that deep, clouded space, we can't see beyond ourselves for that resource. And I don't blame people because if I wasn't in this field, I'm not sure I would know those resources exist. So Mm -hmm. it's awareness of that. So I hope that this kind of fills that gap for some people who are not sure, and they don't know if they can seek help. In the time that we're in, there's also the disaster distress lifeline. So there are options out there. And if anybody's in that space, I don't want you to have to deal with that alone. Please seek
1: help. Thank you so much for saying that. I know Taraji P. Henson has a foundation that Mm -hmm. she just started. I think it um, just started last week on April 15th. She has a foundation that's helping people. And like you said, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline. And, you know, I've had those feelings before. And I remember, you know, I took the steps that you mentioned, like talking to someone about it, and I was able to use my practice and breath work and meditation and get myself back to a healthy state. Um, And so like, I like the steps that you listed out and I feel like everyone listening should take those steps. Tell someone, first of all, tell someone, tell someone, tell someone, tell someone. If you're feeling um, anything other than love, (laughs) tell someone, Mm -hmm. you know, um, fear, Mm -hmm. anger, sadness, whatever, even if it's not to the level of suicide, tell someone when it is fear, when it is sadness, when it is frustration, it is, oh, my friend is you know, my last nerve, like tell someone about it. Um, and then especially when it gets to the level to where it's like, I don't want to be here anymore. You know, mm-hmm. I tell so many people. And so that way people can check in on you and just make sure that they're supporting you because yeah. I feel like all of us are here for a reason. Mm-hmm. And if some way that life or someone or something has happened, like especially with things going on in the world to make you feel like your life is mm-hmm. invaluable, that's mm-hmm. not true. Right. So sometimes we need intervention for the world, the universe, people to remind us, no, you chose to be here at this time, you're here for a reason and the world needs you sit so on checkout. <laughs> okay? Absolutely. Uh, Hello, <laughs> let's turn it around. And I get it because I was there myself and you know, I, I was there and I had a really toxic relationship and I beat myself up about it. Like, why did I get into this relationship? And, you know, I felt so bad and I, 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 it, I had to forgive myself eventually and mm-hmm. forgive that person and do a lot of forgiveness work and healing work. But I'm a better person today and I can speak to people about a day because I did that work. And mm-hmm. so know that no matter where you are right now, there is light at the end of the tunnel there is forgiveness and there you can and will come out stronger. I feel like, you know, and I don't know what you feel like this, but I feel like life is just like a school and we have these tests and if we can pass them, then it doesn't mean we'll never get tested again. It means we will have more knowledge and wisdom. Have you experienced that as well?
2: I absolutely. And I have to say, I loved hearing your Testament there. And I really hope that people are listening. If they're in that place of, you know, deep despair is you are a really good example of how you can experience that and grow through that. I think that that is wonderful. So I really appreciated hearing that. Um, and that hearing other people's testimony, that can also be helpful, right? So when you're in that deep, dark moment, like it might be helpful to hear about other people who have been where you are in that moment and how they got through it, too, you know. So I just wanted to share that first. So it's just it just really moved me. So I, I appreciated that. But can you remind me your question? Because I was so moved by your, well, your personal testimony. This is a Absolutely fine. And I'm glad it came up like that because
1: that's the thing: like, yeah. we don't have to be perfect. We don't have to no, stay on cue. Yeah, we no. don't have to have like this fairy tale ending. Look, I'm single. I've been through a lot of failed relationships. I'm I'm happy with my career, but challenging relationships, healthy careers. Some people have uh, it the other way around, struggling a career and healthy relationships. And it's okay to yeah. not have everything figured out. And it's okay not to go by a script. I don't have a script in front of me. I'm just like, we just want to <laughs> get on here and talk and we want to share, and hopefully something that we're sharing is going to inspire um, people in some way, but I just feel like that at these points when we feel like, okay, this is it for me, like this feels like the end, but then after going through it, we, f- we realize that that challenge was a blessing. So is there any moment you could share with us where yes. you're like, oh my God, this is a super challenge, but after hindsight, you realize like, Oh my God, that was a blessing. I learned so much.
2: Well, yeah. So thanks for bringing me back around. When I get passionate about something and when someone says something that speaks to like my heart and my mind at the same time, oof, I'm like off. I just I need so. So thank you for le- thank you for making the space to let me share that. So first of all, even belief wise, I agree with you that that's what life is about, is about treating this like a school it's, uh, and maybe that's my bias because I loved school so much is, (laughs) (laughs) is that can we treat this like this is the new lesson, this is the new course. And how can I use my skills that I've already acquired to kind of meet this demand at at this time? Right. So, I mean, there's so many that I could experience, but you know, in relation to self-love, I'd like to go actually back because this would be pre-anxiety. When I say pre-anxiety means pre me getting help is just high school was really difficult. It's not a very specific example that I have for you. It's just my experience of feeling like an insider and outsider at the same time is on the surface. It looked like I had friends, like I was connected, like I, you know, got along with everybody, but on the inside, I felt like an outsider being a, in a predominantly white environment, feeling like, there were constant reminders that I was not enough and would potentially never be enough. Um, I think that's where a lot of my compensation came from. Culturally speaking, I'm Guyanese-American, so a lot of our the people before me didn't have these opportunities. So not only do I want to prove to people that I'm enough, it's I need to make sure everybody's proud of me too. And in this process, it became very other-oriented. And again, you know, it's funny to me because I think back to that time and I can feel the heavy weight of it. I cannot even pinpoint a single day or moment or specific event in that time because it was just one big cloud of anxiety every damn day, pretty much because of it. That was just the environment that I'm in. And it wasn't until, you know, working in therapy that I realized that what I thought was like a happy healthy time of my life because I was, I was relatively happy. I was doing things that I enjoyed. I had great people in my life. I was good at school. Like these on paper things that seem fine. It never occurred to me how not fine and not okay that I was. It didn't even, that's how I missed those signs. I felt I had such low self-esteem I believe that in order to be worthy, it meant that somebody was telling me that I was worthy. Someone was validating me. So this constant disempowering experience of like, am I enough? What will I do that's enough? And that's really the root of my anxiety when you think about it. And while I give you that time frame of like in high school, I know it goes way back too. But going back to the notion of the challenge, I see that as like, one big challenging course, right? So the ways that I got through that, there are a lot of coping mechanisms that now hindsight being 2020, looking back, I know that that helps. So talking to people about it, making sure that I was being active so I wasn't allowing myself to lament too far into those deeper feelings of obsessive thoughts and unhealthy thought spirals, and creativity. So at that time, I was doing a lot of dance, and that kept my spirit alive, and it kept my body and mind active. So those are coping skills that I know that helped me to get through that challenge. But I only really feel that I surpassed that challenge as an adult, reflecting back, looking at it. So that's something too, is that I think that sometimes we don't get that finish line feeling at the end of that chapter. Sometimes we don't get that finish line feeling until much later.
1: Right, I think that's so true. And sometimes we can't even focus on the finish line, we have to really enjoy the journey Mm -hmm. and the process and know the process is part of the prize, you know, actually going through this and actually getting through it. Absolutely.
2: I agree with you so much in terms of the journey. I think it is our society. A lot of times that does have that finish line feel like I mentioned, like, I was looking for the finish line. But when I switched over to seeing all of this, like a journey challenges along the way and twists and turns, my life got easier, because my Mm. mindset, my mindset shifted at that time and that was really alleviating for me because it wasn't you know check this off move on to the next and it wasn't investing so much of like my peace and my happiness in a thing it was in my life in my process how i handled things and i found that to be much more empowering
1: I love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your process and, Mm. and your journey and things like that. And I like to ask a couple of uh, deeper questions um, at the Mm. end. And uh, one of the questions is, what are your favorite books, like your top three books that you've read in the last year or so?
2: Okay. Well, it's funny because my favorite book of all time is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankel. And Ooh. I have read it in the last year, but I've read that book so many times <laughs> and it's actually become a coping skill for me um, because it's about, you know, so for anyone who's listening or watching who has not read that book, it's about somebody who, Viktor Frankel, who ended up becoming a prominent psychologist after, but he lived through the Holocaust. And it was about how he shifted his mindset and perspective during that time that helped him to find meaning and purpose. And he believes that that's what kept him alive. And this whole journey is that about like, even in the deepest, darkest moments that you have the ability to find meaning and that meaning will get you through. So really it's like gospel to me, that book. I can read it and there's Another layer that I get to every single time, and I find it fascinating how much it can really propel me to find my inner alignment. So, that for sure. I have this trend, I guess, of rereading books that I like because it's on my nightstand right now. It's Paths to God by Ram Das. So, I knew I wanted to reread it right after he passed, but I had it, I always have like a stack of books that are next up, read this. And with this chaos that the world is in right now, I put away all the other books that were next in line because order doesn't matter in times like this and said, mm-hmm. I need this now. And I'm, I'm rereading that actively right now mm. <laughs> at this moment, but those books. And I love that and to me, reading is such coping. I love to read new things, of course, but I, I, I think that, I don't know. Do you do that? Do you reread? Because I think that there's something beautiful about when there's a book that you already know serves you and speaks to you to reread it and revisit it, you know?
1: Absolutely. I agree. I'm rereading Sacred Woman by Queen Afua. Mm. Um, I am having her on the podcast, but I love the book and I'm just rereading it because it's such a, a timely and deep book, especially for women of color, just to know and understand like, um, the power of our sacredness and being a woman. And she's mm. very, extremely empowering. Mm. And so like reading that has been a, a joy in my life, for sure.
2: Absolutely. And that's funny, because that actually aligns really well with the third book that I was going to share to you. So I love the, the flow. It's called Trauma. And it's by another fellow um, West Indian American. Her name is Elizabeth Jaikaran this was this is more of like a personal thing for me because it shed a light on my history my community i'm so used to having to explain to people not only am i a minority but here my parents are from guyana it's this country let me explain to you and always having to explain instead of just feeling that understood feeling like being seen. Now, of course, from people in safe spaces, like in therapy and good friendships and in my marriage, I'm able to share that and be seen, but it's very rare for me to see that in scripture somewhere. So this was really profound to me because it's about West Indian women's experience of different types of trauma and just being, you know, Indo-Caribbean in that way. So it really spoke to me and I love because it's organized in short stories. Mm -hmm. And um, that hits me on like a a more personal level because I don't know if I've ever been able to experience that, that I could relate to characters. I've always felt more of like the outsider. So it's a nice Mm -hmm. escape into validation.
1: That's really powerful um, that you that you mentioned and like that, like feeling like an outsider because you're not reading the book from uh, the perspective of someone that, you know, looks like you, thinks like you. And I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people understand the value of that or the mm-hmm. impact of that because it's yeah. very, very important. And I feel like now that we are having... Um, more people from all different backgrounds share and realize yes, we need your voice, we need your song, we need your writing, we read, we need um, all people of all different nationalities in every field mm-hmm. because it's necessary because we get different perspectives, number one, but also number two for our children coming up, it really does feel good to have someone that comes from your perspective so that you can be inspired. Anyone Mm -hmm. can inspire, but especially from different perspectives, it's like, if no one's never lived from the hood and came up, you have that experience, no one's ever, you know, come from another background and went through a a different perspective, like it's, it's all about perspective. And I'm glad you mentioned that because I feel it, once I started looking for empowerment in that way, I felt more mm-hmm. connected than I ever had before. hmm
2: Yeah, that just speaks to my belief that representation absolutely does matter. Yeah. And I think sometimes that gets, especially if... If you are in more of a majority culture, you might not understand what that means. And that can be misinterpreted. But for me, so for example, I've been really fortunate to have a lot of Indo-Caribbean men, women across like different fields, all that different parts of the globe have reached out to me to say, thank you for sharing about your mental health. I didn't realize Mm -hmm. that someone else in my community was first of all experiencing this, but also that you share it in a positive way that I got help. Like I'm really grateful that I was able to seek help. And it's still a journey for me, of course, but I feel much more empowered because I'm seeking help constantly. So I'm constantly learning and growing. And, you know, it was while it's really helpful to hear that, you know, that motivates me on another level to like share it more. It's sad because that's something that I related to. It was like, Oh, no one else in my family is experiencing this, you know, generations past, they've had way more trauma. I mean, living through indentured labor, like how does my anxiety compare to that? Right? Like, that's how I used to make sense of it all. And to minimize that, not realizing that I was holding a lot of that weight on top of my own anxiety. So Mm -hmm. really complicated, but I realized that representation in that sense means that it doesn't mean that all of these folks are now going to be in therapy with me. Right. But now that they know that somebody else has a similar experience who was able to seek help and that life is never perfect. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's more meaningful, purposeful, and healthy now that Mm -hmm. that I've, I've noticed like absolutely, absolutely representation matters. And even for my community, I don't want to go off on a tangent, but I mean, up until a few years ago, Guyana had the highest rate of suicidality in the world and it still has the highest rate in the Western hemisphere. So to me, now I know hindsight, looking back and being more research focused, I realize that there's a plethora of mental health concerns that must exist in my own family generations past in my wider community, but we're not talking about it. And that is the problem. The problem is not actually those underlying conditions. It's the lack of talking about it. It's the lack of believing that you can get help and the lack of resources.
1: I appreciate you saying that so much because I did not know that fact and I do believe like you are removing the stigma and you know with that fact like what do you feel is the cause like have you I don't know if you've unpacked that at all but you know is, is there a specific like cause or something that's happening that you feel like are triggering those high numbers? I think there's
2: a lot of things. So, you know, poverty level, that's a lot of things. So that's something that we can make sense of here. You know, like being in the States is that's consistent with here, people who are not seeking help. A lot of it has to do with access to resources. And sometimes that just means funds, right? Then there's belief systems, right? So culturally and, you know, being more of one of the areas that I both research and practice in is diversity counseling and this is something that I see across different cultures, is the idea of faith being used almost against mental health. And I think these two can work so well together, but unfortunately sometimes it's seen as one or the other. So if you're having said symptom and you actually go speak to someone, then there's the idea that you're just not praying enough, you're not devout enough, and that just furthers a level of stigma um that people need serious help from so there's a lot of cultural beliefs that you know something might be wrong with you or you know you're not doing x y and z enough that means if you're having this issue then you're not a good mother right or if you're having this issue you're not actually devout in your faith I- all of that, so many layers of stigma. And I'm glad that you asked this question because this is something I'm working on right now is we're doing research to try to understand what are those barriers. So some of that that I share with you is more anecdotal and speaking with other people and you know, looking at the literature that does exist, but there's not a lot of research on Indo-Caribbean mental health and there's not a lot of research on mental health in Guyana, even though the suicide rates were so, and can, continue to be high. So there's a big disparity here in actually looking into solving that problem. Um, And I'm hoping that I will actually have an answer for that soon when I kind of explore this with people of what holds you back from speaking? What holds you back from seeking help? And when you do seek help, what does that look like?
1: Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so powerful and so deep. Thanks for sharing that. And also the connection with with faith and, and and I feel like there's, there's different faiths there. Like I know I grew up as Southern Baptist and there was a lot of fear based. Um, and I, I, believe in, and respect religions all around the world, but some religions are more fear based and some are more love based. And I feel like for me personally, when I was more fear based thinking that something, I'm doing something wrong or I'm judging myself and I'm judging others and I have like all this feeling like I'm going to be punished and feeling about everyone else is going to be punished and it was just fear 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 I feel like that was personally causing me anxiety Mm -hmm. but then when I started to think in love based and I started to go to my spiritual center here it was like God loves you and you are loved and you mm. it's okay to be imperfect and it was just more love based and still neither way I was I was a perfect then I'm not perfect now but instead of feeling like I was going to be punished or damned or like uh, like hurt um, because of something that I did that was out of love alignment with love now I know that hey like if you recognize you're doing something just Change it, you know, and just become a better person. And God loves you and wants you to, to heal and you are loved and you're one and connected. It's just a different vibration of love. And I feel like God is love in that when we are, Feeling that we are loved, whether we're perfect or not, that we're whole and accepted and completed and loved, I feel that, like, helps us get through hard times in life. But whereas when we're in fear that we're going to get punished or judged or damned, it gives us more anxiety and a feeling of separation.
2: I agree with you there. And that was part of why I ended up veering towards the path of self-love because it's one thing to have the general concept of love, which I think is beautiful. And I love love, but when it comes to mental health, being able to have that inner compass to align yourself with your own love and the wider love, that is really empowering when it comes to mental health because there's a lot of messages that we get on the different layers of the world, right? So you mentioned how faith can have those messages, family systems, culture, society, school, lessons, peers. There's so many different avenues that we can get messages of who we are, who we're supposed to be. Some of those might be informed and might be on point and accurate, sure. But the only person that's really going to know that answer for you in terms of who you are, what you believe, what is your purpose in this world is you. So how can we make sense of that and you know, making room to receive feedback and making space for that, but also making boundaries when something is going against your nature and that in order to protect yourself, you need to align more with your self-love in order to live, learn, and grow.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I 100% agree with that as well. Like self-love, it's where it's at. And even when every person, because there was a time when the way I was thinking was different than my family. And it, I think it's really important. And I talk about it in my book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce. You have to get an A-team around you that supports what you think and who you are so that you don't feel... You're alone, and like you said, you don't feel like you're an outsider. And I think that's really important when you're shifting to love consciousness. That's might be outside of your religion, or outside of your faith, or outside of your family. I think it could be a really scary place for people. It was definitely a very scary place for me. But my soul knew, like, okay, this feels good. And if it feels good on a soul level, and other things feel not so good, I feel like that's a really good sign that you're moving in the right direction. Just keep. Keep following that soul feeling and also feel like you're in a safe space and you have people that talk to where you feel that warmth in your soul in your heart in your stomach like i feel like you know i talk a lot about the chakra systems and that energy that connects us all is absolutely real and when you feel that alignment and turned on keep moving in that direction and when you don't feel that pause mm-hmm. breathe pivot you yes. know That's so beautifully said.
2: Yeah, that's so beautifully said. I really appreciate that. I think a lot of our views actually align very well in terms of how we make sense of the world and life. And, you know, I had to do a lot of work to rid rigidity and idea of things need to be done this certain way. And like meeting other people's standards instead of working from your own inner compass And I think that it's so important to recognize, I mean, at least from my view, is we wouldn't be here if we already knew it all, right? So treat it like one big lesson is it's not to blame, judge, criticize, or shame yourself when you recognize you may have veered away. It's, oh, I just caught that I veered away. So how do I come back to alignment? And that journey back, that's the most powerful part of the process, I think.
1: Mm. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much. And one yeah. last question, because I know yeah. you have to go. Sure. What, what does love mean to you?
2: Wow. Love to me is infinite healing and power. Just that.
1: Mm. Infinite healing, and power. Love is infinite, healing, and power. Oh, I love that too. Thank, well, you, thank you for you- that
2: question. Geez, <laughs> I love that. I'm going to write that down. That's going to turn into my one of my affirmations for tonight's meditation. Thank you. <laughs>
1: I love the answer too. Infinite, healing, and power. Like That is so powerful. And I'm so happy we could get loved up with you today. Um, and so where can people find you? I know they can get your um, self-love book online, but where can people uh, find you online? Sure. So if you want to reach out to me generally, the best way would be through my website. So that's
2: drshayna.com. Also my main social platform is Instagram. It's also drshayna. So those are the easiest ways to find me. And if you are interested in the self-love workbook, like you mentioned, um, it is available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and online through
1: Walmart, Target, and Groupon as well. So find whichever method works for you. Awesome. Thank you so much. And you all, until next time, love yourself, love others, and love the world one day at a time, one breath at a time.
0: Peace and love. In 2019, I wrote my first book, Let Your Fears Make You Fierce, How to Turn Common Obstacles into Seeds for Growth. In the book, I share some of my biggest challenges I faced on my journey to living my purpose and how I overcame them using simple yet profound daily reflections and rituals that I share in the book. I'm excited for you to dive in and experience your own evolution into the best version of yourself. Go to KoyaWeb.com to check it out and join the Get Loved Up membership for daily meditations, recipes, workouts, and everything that you need to live a healthy and active lifestyle mentally, spiritually, and physically. Go to KoyaWeb.com forward slash audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, if you'd rather listen to it at your own convenience. Let's get loved up.